the Great British Drafting Show, an exclusive off-season series where we'll be taking a look every week at the 2020 NFL Draft and how the Panthers might approach it. We are part of the Riot Network, which is powered by Ortho Carolina, all the Panthers podcasts you could possibly want all in one place. If you do enjoy the show this week, then please do be sure to rate, review, subscribe uh, on Apple Podcasts so other Panthers fans can find the show a hell of a lot easier and, and do tell all your Panthers friends about us as well. Uh, my name's Ollie and I'm one of the leaders of the Royal Riots here in the UK and I'll be your host right up to the draft. As usual though, I'm joined by none other than our draft guru, Mr Vincent Richardson. How are you doing this week, sir? I, I am all right in this currently quite quite young week, but yeah, so far it's, it's been okay. Good stuff, good stuff. So um, we've obviously done a, a couple of these podcasts now and we've started looking at the Panther squad a, a, as a whole and, and various um, positions. Um, so now we're going to have a look at our next position, which is the quarterback position. So yeah. um, before I can hear the eye rolling here from, from people listening, but so let's not dwell on the cam situation because I think that's been done to death now. Yes. Um, and let's focus on um, what teams look for in a quarterback. You know, obviously, yeah. There's some obvious things here, right? Accuracy, leadership, etc. But what are some of the skill sets that make a great quarterback that aren't quite as obvious as, you know, he can throw the ball to another guy? Yeah, so I think the the quarterback position is is I mean all, all positions are some mix of like physical ability, technical prowess, and sort of mental um, competence, for lack of a better word. Um, and I think in quarterback the the focus is more on the on the mental side of the game than for any other position. And that is what makes if 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 you want to get into sort of the the why is it so hard to, for 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 teams to analyze quarterbacks and why they have been the record on quarterbacks is quite so poor in the draft is because the mental side is so hard to judge and that is just so important from quarterbacks and 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 teams you know when it gets talked about in the media they often talk about sort of you know operating under the you know um, under center and about organizing protections and understanding concepts and stuff and those things are important obviously but but ultimately it's a position that is that is determined most by decision making that that you, you, if a quarterback can have all the arm talent in the world and be incredibly accurate but if you consider, consistently don't throw it to the right place it's it's going to be really really hard for you to be successful and vice versa there are players who maybe aren't the best athletes maybe miss throws that are a bit frustrating at times but because they're able to mentally um dominate the game and and they they consistently put the ball where it's meant to be in terms of hitting the right receiver against the right coverage, recognizing what's going on quickly, not getting flustered, and consistently making quick, effective decisions. They can okay. they can so, dominate the game in a way that, that that better athletes can't always. Yeah. So, quick question, just to help me frame that then. Um, yeah. Who would you say is a good example in the NFL of of either end of that scale? So, someone who perhaps isn't the greatest in terms of their arm, but just makes the right decisions, and who perhaps seems to have that arm talent and, and the accuracy, but makes the bad decisions. Can you think of some examples of that? Yeah. So, the, I mean, the easy example, the obvious one that always comes up about sort of players who, who win mentally is Alex Smith, because he's he's never, you know, he's never been a, a flashy quarterback. And, you know, he's always been seen as this kind of, old, you know, the game manager moniker is often what we refer to. But, I mean, the ultimate example is Tom Brady. I mean, and I know that sounds kind of superfluous, and every time you compare a, a quarterback to Tom Brady, people sort of lose their minds a little bit. But but, but the, particularly in the last sort of five or ten years, Tom Brady have, has not had this huge arm and has been throwing it all over the place. The reason why he's been able to, 
to win as much as he has, rather than actually put up the big passing numbers, is, is because when it really matters, he is able to just be ruthlessly efficient. And obviously, he hasn't always done that. And there are examples of games where he, he has not been as good. And, and in the last couple of years, his arm has really started to, to hinder him. But but if you can win mentally, it makes it so much easier for you to to put everyone around you in the best position to succeed. Because if you can get the ball out quickly, the line doesn't have to protect as long. If receivers aren't having to do extraordinary things for you, at the catch point for you to win because you're just hitting the open man, you're taking what the defense gives you. I know it sounds quite cautious and obviously it's useful to also have quarterbacks who can operate outside of the structure as well and that is an important thing but but for in terms of consistent reproducibility you need someone who can just execute the structure and I think there are there are there are several examples of players in the draft who, who do that quite well cool okay well that's probably a good point to start having a look at your board and, and trying to establish which of the the prospects do have that skill set then um yeah Looking at your board here, you've got three guys grouped together um, at the top. So yeah. talk us through what separates these three from the rest for you and how they sort of compare among themselves then. Okay, yeah. So the the, the three guys I've got at the top and I've gone through, I, I spent at least two hours the other day just trying to work out exactly which order I have these guys in and I keep changing my mind over it. So I think I'm going to focus less on the exact order of these three and more about the grouping of them. And that's Jake from Tua Tongabella and uh, Joe Burrow. Um, I think all three are are really interesting prospects because I think all three have not insignificant flaws and I don't think any of them are ever going to be the, you know, one-man army Cam Newton 2015 style quarterback. They're never going to be the kind of the quarterback who drags the rest of the offense with them in terms of, you know, none of them have the biggest arms. Um None of them really are going to be dual threat guys in the NFL, I don't think. I think obviously like some of them are more mobile than others and some of them have stronger arms than others. But they're all three of them are guys who are going to to win mentally. They, they're going to have to win mentally because and, and particularly in sort of the short and intermediate area, because none of them are going to be guys who are who are dropping the ball 50 yards down the field into tight windows consistently because none of them have particularly good arms. Um, and so I think in terms of if you're a, an NFL team looking at this, I think what differentiates them is is really a matter of, of of what you value most. So I think of the three, I think Tua does have the best arm, um, not by a lot, but I think he has probably got the 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 best arm then Burrow then from. Um, but I think from although his deep ball is 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 quite frustrating at times, I think his velocity is actually better than his overall arm strength. If that makes sense, that he's his motion allows him to get so in, in short areas the actual zip speed the ball goes at over short areas is actually probably better than the other two possibly at least i think it's better than burrows at least would be, would be my assessment though yeah. again they're all can really just, quite close yeah can you just elaborate on that a little bit so is that are you talking about the actual speed of the ball or the speed he's getting the ball out of his hand so is i'm talking about the, i'm talking about the actual no, like the actual physical speed of the ball that 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 if if you're there's a difference between players who can throw the ball a long way um, and players who can throw the ball over a shorter distance, but the, the actual physical speed the ball goes at. So, like, from throw the ball actually physically moves quite quickly, but it also tends to die after, a, a, a you know, it, it, he hasn't got the, the arm to hit 40, 50-yard passes. Um, whereas um, Burrow, it, it, the ball doesn't really come out of his hand that quick. 
um, but but he can probably actually hit the deeper passes more. Though I think if you watch a lot of From or Burrow, both of them have a reasonable number of frustrating underthrows down the field. Like that, they're none of these three guys are going to be guys who are just dropping the ball deep consistently. Two is probably the best at that, but but that's not going to be where either three of these guys make their money. It's going to be on operating a system efficiently, making good decisions, and moving the ball down the field and taking what the defense does over and over and over again. And so that's I think where the the three of them also differ the most. I think Burrow makes very, very good decisions. He very rarely makes poor decisions, and that was why he was able to be so successful at LSU. But I'm not sure his speed of decision-making is always amazing. And I think actually the the comp that always springs to my mind in that regard is uh, Dwayne Haskins, um, who obviously it's quite hard to judge in the NFL because he's only played less than one season. But he was another guy who, who very rarely did made mental errors, but sometimes was a bit slow to... To, you know, he, he was he was sort of ponderous, and I think both guys were were able to get away with that. And it's always it's always very hard to judge. And this is why quarterbacks are, are you know interviews are so important. It's very hard to judge what they did because they were able to do it, and what they did because they weren't able to do anything differently. So taking your time because you know you're always going to be well protected is very different from taking your time because you can't go any faster because you just can't process things very quickly. And and these are things that it's it's almost impossible to know. Um, I think the if if you wanted a, a cause for caution with Joe Burrow, given how impressive his his season was last year, is if you look at the season before that and and there there when he maybe didn't have quite as much time in the pocket and was asked to to to, to operate in more uh, under more pressure, his clock didn't seem to get much faster. He still seemed to take his time with his reads, um, and maybe you know. It's, this is really getting into the weeds because it, it is sort of very slight differences between these three guys. But I, th- I think Burrow's decision-making is good, but not super fast. Fromm's is probably the quickest decision-making, but he's probably also the most limited player in terms of arm strength and mobility. Um, so he, the reason why I maybe have Fromm ahead of uh, Tua and Burrow, if you were making an argument for that, it would be that his decision-making is the fastest and also that he was able to be successful, whereas whereas Tour and From were kind, uh, sorry, Tour and Burrow were both in systems that really played to their strength. They spread the ball out. They had good receivers around them. They had good running games, and they were able to just operate and be be these game manager types. Whereas although Burrow had a quite good running game and a good offensive line, he just didn't have the receivers, and quite often he was being forced to to try and throw people open. And while he wasn't bad at that, that's not where these three guys are not going to be guys who are hitting, you know, tight windows 20 yards down the field with a consistency. Um, just not not because they can't get the ball there accurately, but just because their arm is going to make it hard for them to do that without exceptional anticipation at times, um, particularly when the field gets congested if teams know they don't have to worry about the deep ball as much. So I, I, whereas I think the, the hit on tour would be that he makes generally good decisions, but he probably has the most really like frustrating mental errors so that he that most of his stuff is really good and every now and then he makes a decision you think what what are you thinking so it, it's really the differences between them are are much more about what you want in terms of risk versus reward and uh, and what exactly you want to do schematically uh, and also what players you have around them so i i think if i'm honest my, at the moment i think i my order would be from to a burrow but if you said it was burrow to a from I, I i'd find it very hard to, to disagree with you i think that the big takeaway is more that i think these guys are actually very similar in how they're going to be successful in the nfl if they are successful 
um, but also have similar limitations in terms of arm strength um, and and similar assets in terms of their ability to make really good decisions on a consistent basis. Okay, so a moment ago you just mentioned the interview. <clears throat> now, mm. I know previously on some other episodes you've said that your rankings are always based on talent and you don't like to get into external factors too much because there's just too many variables. And but yeah. I'd just like to touch on that quickly, if we could, because clearly the quarterback position is different from the rest. And we've obviously spoken um, already about the mental aspect of it. Um, So, you know, I think it's fairly obvious what the answer is. But, you know, how much of a factor are these interviews and what is it that they're actually looking for that that they can't get from, from tape? So I can't speak to exactly what teams do because only teams themselves know exactly what they're trying to achieve. But I think in terms of what you can try and achieve from these interviews, it's about taking what you see on tape and trying to give it greater context. So what I mean by that is that quite often when, particularly with quarterbacks, you see them making decisions inside the structure of an offense. Um, And what you don't know is how they're being coached to operate that offense. So a good example of this, say from last year, um, was I've got a complete blank of his name, but the um, Oklahoma quarterback went first overall. Oh, my mind will come back to me. Arizona Cardinals quarterback, it'll, it'll come back. But um, but his um, he was really good at Oklahoma um, at breaking the pocket, and his mobility was excellent. Um, Kyler Murray, that's it. My mind, sorry, apologies. My mind is slowly fading. Um, but but it was very noticeable that he it was he he quite often would if the first couple of reads weren't there he would just take off and run um and what you can start trying to delve into in interviews is whether that's just because he kind of either panics or just kind of he 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 struggles to work beyond those reads or whether it was because his coach went just you know you're really good you're so much better at an athlete than the 95 percent of people you're playing against in college if the first couple of reads aren't there just don't risk sticking in the pocket. Just take off and run because that's that's better for our offense. And, and like that, that's that's a perfectly legitimate thing for him to have done. The issue is, is when you're watching it on tape without that knowledge, it's very hard to know what's the quarterback and what's the coach. Um, and, and Baker Mayfield, another Oklahoma quarterback, was a, was a, was a, a another a, a particularly difficult example in this regard because he would just pass open pass over open underneath receivers looking for deeper passes. And it was hard to know whether that was a tactical decision being made as part of the offense was just to wait for the deep ball to emerge because he had great surrounding talent or or whether he just struggled to actually operate the offense in, in a more kind of um, low risk, low reward type way. And, and I think some of the issues he's had a, a, in Cleveland have been that he does still look for that deep ball all the time and he's not great at getting the ball out quickly and, and that was something that showed up in Oklahoma but what wasn't clear is whether that was him or whether that was the offense and that that's where interviews can really be useful is understanding what, what decisions are being made by the quarterback and what decisions are being made by the scheme and the coaches okay cool well let's um now we've tackled the the, the top three yeah um, I want to get sort of bogged down on just going all the way down the list so let's just start talking about I guess you've got You've kind of got chunks now, sections or, or different pots of quarterbacks that yeah. that we look at. So you've got, sort of got the the developmental options, which I know you've mentioned a few times around some of the other positions. Yeah. Um, 
and maybe those who are, are, are pro ready but but lack that upside so yes if you start on the developmental side of things who who's your pick for, from from that that pocket of players okay so i think the obvious name i haven't mentioned so far is justin herbert and he is my fourth quarterback and i think there's a reasonable gap between like him and then the players behind him and i think he is a prime example of of, of someone who whose draft status is all about upside and I, I mean he I mean so we're recording this today it, it, it's the, the the combine interviews have started happening I know he 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 said today that he you know wasn't sure about NFL game speed potentially and that, that you know he, he's aware that teams might want to, to sit him for a year and develop and I think that's absolutely right and I think the it's not that he can't do it it's just that that, that his his value is in his arm and in his mobility uh, and his his you know his his touch is actually pretty good and you know it, it it's 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 he's got a complete set of physical tools and it's more about can he develop the 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 mental side of the game in a pro style system um and, and can he op- what is his ceiling in that regard and, and so for him interviews are going to be massively important because teams need him to get better for him to to to, to show the kind of value that, that they're going to draft him to have um and I think there he is he is for me the choice of the developmental guys. And when I say developmental guys, I don't mean sort of you know that they're completely without um, technical prowess, but it's more that that if you put Justin Herbert in week one, it's a bit of a gamble, I think. Um, and, and there have been good examples of players. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is a great example of these kind of players working out that you draft someone with massive physical talent who maybe hasn't been able to to. To operate in a scheme that's that 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 that's similar to one that he sees in the NFL, but also maybe maybe wasn't the best at at operating scheme he was even in college potentially, and then you give him a year to get used to the speed of the game and to, and to master operating that offense, and obviously he's gone and done absolutely ridiculous things, and the hope would be players like Justin Herbert with a little bit of time to 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 adjust to the NFL game can then make the most of their physical skills. So I think for him for me he's the pick of the bunch. And then you get more into guys like Cole McDonald um, from Hawaii. I think he's got number five, um, who possibly needs more work because his um, offense was unlike anything you'll see in the NFL. But also mechanically, he's probably got some things you need to work on. Um, but again, exceptional arm, great arm strength, really nice touch, good accuracy, actually. Operated the offense he was in very well, even though it was very different to what you'll see in the NFL. Um, and so for me, like the, these are kind of players where... I think as you go down the board, you're you're choosing between you know these these high upside, but high risk players. I mean, just to name you know the other names, I know people that like to talk about Jacob Easton and Jordan Love. I've got lower down, um, and I, I'll talk about that in a second. But I, I I think the 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 value in these guys is you know it is the the sort of the historic argument that you draft a quarterback, you maybe sit them for a year, and and you you try and develop them and make them into the player you want them to be rather than through the player there are they are when they when you draft them okay so in terms of um the players that perhaps can come in and offer immediate depth but yeah. perhaps don't have that starter upside yes. again that's another group of guys that you've you've put together but who's yeah. your pick of the bunch out, out of that lot um so i i think it's hard. I mean, Jake Luton and Cher Patterson are quite close, and probably the 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 best examples of guys who maybe fall somewhere in between. 
um, in that I think they, they've shown that they can be competent enough at operating an offence and have enough arm to do most things, but maybe aren't sort of the classical... I, think, I don't think this draft is particularly strong in the in the, the, the guys who, you know, you know are never going to be starters, but but just because they're physical limitations, but you know can just go in and operate. I mean, when you get to that point, you're looking at guys like Lewerke from Michigan State and Stanley, but those are more sort of day three type options. Um, I'm not sure there's a ton of sort of obvious um, just depth guys in this class. I don't I don't think that, and, and, you know, if, if you sort of have a very expensive taste, guys like From and Tungvaloa could could be, you know, and, and Burrow, those guys are the very pro-ready guys who maybe don't have the super high ceiling, but I think they're they're good enough that they're in that different category. Uh, yeah, I, I think if you're looking for quarterback depth, this is a better class for sort of upside than it is for um, competence. If that if that make any makes any sense. I mean, the one guy I haven't mentioned in either of those is Mason Fine from North Texas, for whom the questions are more about like physically whether he can do it. I mean, he's I think he was just like five eleven one ninety, um, but I've got a feeling he's probably going to measure even smaller than that. And then you start getting into these conversations of you know. Is that going to be? He did have a lot of batted balls. Is the other thing. You know, is he going to be big enough that he can operate? And but he again has a good arm. He actually was. You know, if, if he'd have been four inches taller, he would be in sort of the day two, day maybe even day one conversation. I think. I mean, he he's he's really good. It's just he's like you know, five ten and went to a small school. Okay, so just going back to developmental options a second. Yeah. Then, how much of a gamble do you think these guys are for teams? Then, yeah, you know, is. Is there much of a basis for these guys working out in the NFL? I mean, yeah. So I, I think it, it varies a lot. And these, and again, we'll come back to, to the interview stuff. That this is where that stuff kind of matters, because you're you're betting as much on the player as an as a as a as a person who who can learn and who is able to to understand and master these things as you are the actual person you see on tape. Um, and so I think these are there are definitely examples of them working. I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll go back to. Um, uh, Mahomes is sort of you know a great example of the working, but even guys like Aaron Rodgers were, were sort of more towards the sort of you know didn't start immediately, but but came on and and showed it. And you know if you go back historically, there there are loads and loads of examples. This was this was kind of the the the, the pattern historically. Um, Brett Favre, you know, fantastic talent coming out of a small school, was given some time to develop and then became um, a, a quite good quarterback, shall we say? Um, but but <laughs> yeah, he was all right. Um, but but you know the, the, you're betting as on those kind of guys you're betting on them as people as much as you are them as them as athletes um, and so that's where the interviews are really important but you also have to and I think this is where I come back to to Isam and, and and love a bit is that you also have to try and make some assessment of of, of rationalising the person you see on tape with the person in front of you and the reason why I've got uh, Eason and Love quite a bit lower than most other evaluators is it's not just that Whereas Herbert, there are things you'd want to see him do that you don't see him do that you, you're going to have to teach him. With with Eason and Love, it's you see them actively doing things badly that not just you have to correct, but the, that you have to really overcome. I, I mean, Jacob Eason has got a magnificent arm. That That's not the question at all. It's just he doesn't really seem able to operate the offense very well. And, and he, even the... You know, Washington's offense isn't super simple, but it but it wasn't sort of the most complex offense. It wasn't a pro style offense that, and he was consistently taking a really long time 
to work off reads. He made some really, really poor decisions. He, he consistently put the ball in, in, in harm's way in a way that was completely unnecessary. Um, and there, I mean, again, this is this is where you have to start sort of extrapolating a little bit. But you're going like, OK, if he struggled to operate this offense, given that you've seen other people from the same school operate the same offense much more effectively in recent years, you're thinking, OK, why can't he do that? And then you start going back to like, actually, even if he's got the physical tools for the next level, what? Wh- why do I think he'll be better at operating an NFL offense than he was a college offense? Whereas with Herbert, you'd like to operate it. You'd like him to be a better operator. But if he operates an NFL offense with the comparative efficiency that he operated the Oregon offense, that's not the end of the world. And actually, he didn't make terrible decisions as much as he could have been a, a more efficient and um, he could have been seemed more in control at times, I think is the best way I can put it. And and Jordan Love is a similar thing to Eason where it, it's, I don't think he's got quite as good an arm as Eason, but again, it's a, it's a, it's a good arm, but it's just the, there are some really frustrating decisions. Um, and it, it he just seemed to settle for for jump for for contested throws a lot, and maybe that was something that he was taught. And that's again something you'll find out in interviews whether that was just the coaching was eh, if it's not there, just throw it up. Um, but but that's you know you can't consistently succeed if your tactic is to just throw up jump balls. You know that that that's not a, a you know there's a reason why NFL teams don't just run fades every single play. Um, you have to be able to 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 succeed without you, you you have to be able to create an awful lot of the offense just for your decision making because again against zone um and against uh certain types of, of man coverage essentially what 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 uh, what creates the success is just your ability to know where the ball has to go and to get it there it, it's not it's not about throwing people open against tight windows necessarily you know if you can just operate the offense as it's designed to be run that gets you say 70% of the way there and then your ability to operate outside of the offense is the bit that gets the last, the last 30% but it's no point having that 30% if you don't have the 70% below it. Okay so I just want to rewind to something you said um, a, a moment or so ago. You, you mentioned a few players famously who have sat and have gone on you know to become you know fairly good players. <laughs> yeah. um, every single year we see numerous rookie quarterbacks getting drafted behind a veteran and all we hear about is if when they should start you know heaven forbid yeah. the veteran loses a game or throws a couple of picks or something talk yeah. just intensifies more and more and more um, and we've seen quarterbacks rushed into action before and then we've also seen them sat for a considerable amount of time um, yeah yeah I, I think you when you look at some of the examples of where it's worked, I think we know the answer. But how much and and how do young rookie quarterbacks learn so much when they're not actually taking any competitive snaps? So I think it, it's about there. There are some things you can learn, and there are some things you can can't you, you can't learn. And I think that's that's kind of of of, of what informs the decision of how valuable it is to sit a player. So for, for players who have come from simplistic schemes in college and for whom, you know, maybe weren't playing at the the, the highest level of college football, um, the speed of the game is just vastly different. Um, 
and and also the complexity of what they're being asked to do is is significantly higher and ultimately they just people just need some time to absorb that information you can't just put it all in front of someone and say right absorb all this knowledge now you have to sort of provide them that information more gradually over a longer period of time for it to really bed in um and i think that for those kind of players for that's that's where that that time can be well spent also for players for whom you think tech, you know if you sort of you see someone's got a really good arm but they kind of need to tighten some things up technically and you want to spend some time to work on it you know again you can have that time in practice um and you have got to dedicate that time to to work on those things but 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 that allows you to put a player into a position to succeed where they're not mm. kind of you know everything isn't suddenly thrown upon them at once and they're just completely overwhelmed um yeah. so, so just just on that then sorry so yeah. if you've got a you know, a newly drafted quarterback and appreciate different teams are in different states when they draft a quarterback. Yeah. But it almost then, if there's so much for them to learn, so much for them to take on, it almost yeah. seems like a higher risk strategy to put them straight in. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I would largely agree with that. I think there are examples where that's not the case. I think if you're draft, I mean, tour it's a bit different because of the injury, but if you're drafting from tour or burrow, their value is mostly about what they can already do like you're not asking them to be you accept their limitations you know they're probably not going to, be able to overcome them but but you're drafting them for the players they already are for those guys you know may, maybe if you think that the, the the scheme is significantly different from what they've played before you know then maybe there's some value in sitting them but ultimately their value is in who they are now not who they're going to become because ultimately you don't think there's really much more for them to become um those are the players where I don't think there's necessarily a huge amount of value setting them. Like, you know, if you're going to draft Jake Fromm in the the, the, the second round, say, or, or the first round, unless you're setting them because you've already got a good quarterback and they're more your plan for a year or two's time, the, 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 you know, they're not going to get significantly better, I don't think. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but ultimately they're limited more by things that they can't change, would be my personal view. So so there is there are times when players, you know, if, if you're drafting... Um, you know, and, and Russell Wilson was a good example of a guy who, although we didn't get drafted super high, ultimately he was really pretty pro-ready. He'd run a pro-ready system. He, he his, his mental um, sort of um, dominance of the game was already there as a college player. His arm was, you know, good, but, you know, obviously there are guys with better arms, but, you know, a very good arm. But, but, you know, Russell Wilson was kind of ready to go as a rookie. And there are those guys. There just aren't that many of those guys. And the issue comes when you start putting guys who definitely, definitely aren't ready in. And you, you do need to give some guys. So, like, you know, if, if you're the Panthers, say, looking at Will Greer, the fact he got some game time at the end of last season, I don't think that's going to sort of radically derail his development. And ultimately, after sort of 13 games or so, you do have to, you know, you, you should be ready enough that you can go out there. And actually, the speed is such that you're you, you've seen it in practice. You kind of know what it's like. And it's more just kind of getting that the feel of the, the flow of the game. And so, you know, I'm not saying you should sit them for the whole season, but if you're drafting a quarterback who isn't ready, you you stand to more you stand to lose more than you stand to gain by by starting them early. And you know, we never know what David Carr might have been like if he you know not been just thrown into the fire in, in in Houston. But you know, there are examples of potentially competent quarterbacks who just got way too much thrown on their shoulders way too early and, and never never really recovered. And also examples of guys, you know. If Patrick Mahomes had been thrown out week one for Kansas City, he would still have the ridiculous arm that he that he has. But maybe maybe it would have been a bit too much of him, and maybe he wouldn't be quite as good a player now 
for not having had that time. I mean, you, you can't you can't really know these hypotheticals, um, but but I think there is definitely teams should be more willing to sit young quarterbacks than they seem to be. Okay, now before we wrap things up, yeah. um, I just want to touch on any perhaps long shot names on your board that you'd like to give a uh, you know maybe a shout out or honourable mention to. Uh, one name that caught my um, my eye way down on your board was, was Kelly Bryant, who I yeah. dare say some of our listeners will have seen a fair amount of as the the former Clemson quarterback before Trevor Lawrence yeah. turned up and started ripping things up. Yeah, I I'm. I must admit, I'm not sure there's a huge amount to like with Kelly Bryant. I, I, I think he's his arm is not terrible, and he obviously is quite a good runner with the ball. But I, I don't think he's particularly accurate. I don't think he's like his actual accuracy or touch are very good at all. Um, and I, decision making, I don't think he operated the scheme very well. I mean, you 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 watch Missouri the, the last couple of years, and it, it's it's hard to see how he's going to succeed in the NFL. And I, I think it, it is worth taking a little bit of time to talk to some of the guys who aren't, who aren't maybe as high and why maybe I haven't got them as high just to, 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 cause I think there are a few people who are in that similar category. Um, of, I, I think the, the, the player who I'm going to, the other player I think it's worth talking about is Jalen Hurts. Um, and the reason why I sort of mentioned them in the same sentence is, partly because of the success Bryant did have early on in Clemson. I think Hertz is an example of a guy who was a really good college quarterback. Like he, he was no genuinely a very good college quarterback. I just, I'm not sure that that will translate very well to the NFL. And I know he's someone that's been linked to Panthers a little bit. Um, I'm not sure how realistic that is, but I think there's a big difference between being very good in college and being good in the NFL, and they're not necessarily directly related. And I think I think that's the other thing is that, you know, Jalen Hurts was a he, he's a fantastic he, he's clearly a fantastic competitor, but but also you know the, the fact that the the players around him speak so highly of him is is valuable. But ultimately, his arm just isn't that good. It, it's it's not that he can't make the throws; it's just he just doesn't make them with the consistency that 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 you need um and and while i don't think he's you know he didn't make a ton of bad decisions on tape he just the the deep ball with him was so inconsistent and there were just enough frustrating misses underneath that it would be hard it's one of those things where he i think he he's he's in the category of player who if he does get a chance to start in the nfl might have a few really great games and he and he does have those games in him it's just he. It's hard to see how he's going to consistently be successful in the NFL. And I think I think that when I talk about a lot of the developmental guys, I think those guys the down the the downside with them is in that similar category. That that you know, Jacob Eason could have a few games in the NFL where he just goes completely nuts. You know, everything everything falls into place. You know, touchdowns galore, loads of yards. But just it's it's the whole you know Jameis Winston thing of like you know. There's a lot of good there, but there's an awful lot of bad in with the good from an NFL perspective. And, and you know, there are going to be these guys who were, were particularly with quarterback, I think, who were really good college quarterbacks who just the NFL is too big of a jump for them. The speed is too fast. The complexity is too great. And the ability to make, you know, the ability to make these amazing throws doesn't make up for the fact that they're not consistently executing what they're being asked to do. And, and 
of of you know the the numbers tell us that, that in this draft class there might be loads of talented players and i think this is a comparatively deep quarterback class but you know the justin herbert's cole mcdonald's jacob eason's jordan loves they're all going to get some like at least day two maybe even day one conversation and the odds are that the one of them might work you know the, the, there is a huge risk with quarterbacks i think that's that's the thing is it's it's really difficult to be a good nfl quarterback and i think the fact that teams draft them so high so consistently is more about the value of what happens when you hit rather than actually how many of them actually work out if that makes sense sorry if that was a bit that's a bit rambling but i just it, it's i think it's one of these where it, it, it's the more you the more you watch quarterbacks the more you realize how much real uncertainty there is in this position and how, and, and why there are so many high profile quarterback busts in a way that is quite rare for other positions yeah it's, it's kind of more it's, it's the risk reward isn't it yeah you, you take a high risk to spend more draft capital but you could end up yeah know, with patrick mahomes <laughs> yeah and i think if we go back to sort of you know talk about more more what makes sense for the panthers because i think i think it is unlikely although not impossible that the panthers will will take a quarterback really early. I, I think you, you, even if the Panthers don't take a quarterback early, if, if you know, even if, if Cam stays or if, you know, they move on from Cam, but just say, well, okay, we're going to be terrible this year and, and, and whatever. I think one of the things that Marty Herney said really early on in his second tenure that I think is, is worth noting is that teams should just draft late round quarterbacks every year. Just, just you know, because the, the upside is so high, if you draft someone with the physical school, you know, the physical skills, don't, don't draft, uh, you know, a, uh, a physically limited player who you're pretty certain isn't going to work but if you just take a gam you know it, one of the players i talked about with the big arm you know mason fine might fall to the sixth or seventh round and although the odds are massively stacked against him working for a sixth round pick the reward is so high that it, it's teams should just be consistently taking these risks just because they're there although the although the reward is so high and the the, the probability of it working is 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 very low the the, the reward is just so ridiculous that the the team should almost get in the process of just every year just you know draft a quarterback just you know and unless you've got three good quarterbacks on your roster just just draft the quarterback and i think the panthers will be in that conversation again this year even, you know even if they go into the rebuild deeply you know if even if cam stays and you've got greer and you've said that you know he's the backup just yeah, draft another quarterback just you know you never know cam cam is getting you know older greer hasn't shown anything yet what do you lose? Because if nothing else, you can trade them away in two years' time for a massive reward if they if you do hit. So it's you know, I would strongly recommend the Panthers draft a quarterback or or sign a priority UDFA, even if that's just in the seventh round and there's a 95% chance they don't work. Because if you hit on that five percent, it's just worth so much. Yeah, I guess the best example of that's Tom Brady, right? Yeah, <laughs> he was uh, but, taken right. Yeah. But that there are there are reasonable you know, a reasonable number of examples of guys who maybe aren't star players but but who you know loads of draft capital wasn't spent on them you know if you if you look at the you know this year in the, you know kirk carson's was what a fourth round pick and while he's not a superstar you know it, it you know he, he's worth quite a bit if you tried to trade him on his rookie contract you'd have got quite a bit back for him for a fourth round pick um you know russell Wilson was a third round pick obviously that's a bit higher but um you know romo was an undrafted free agent uh jacoby Brissett was a third round pick he's actually reasonably decent i mean you know maybe you have to spend a little bit more draft capital to get the guys who who who, who maybe aren't such a ridiculous risk but but you don't have to be spending first round picks to hit on quarterbacks like if you look at the the quarterbacks in this draft this year 
the number of them who were sort of top 10 picks was actually really quite low. Like, you know, it, it's worth taking shots on quarterbacks, even if they're not sort of the, the, the superstar top five picked up guys, because, you know, there, there are lots of examples, you know, Lamar Jackson was taken 32nd overall. And obviously that's still a high pick, but, but, you know, take these chances. They might not work, but if they do, they, they, they pay off, but you know, don't draft a first round quarterback every year. That would be nuts. That'd be Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, no, that, 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 that's inco- that's incompetence, I think, rather than anything. <laughs> cool. Well, um, I think that's just about wraps everything up. Then I've really enjoyed yeah. that one. That was short and sweet, but I think we packed yeah. an awful lot in there. Yeah, I, I think in reality, the, the the Panthers' interesting quarterback. I would be surprised. I, I think I wouldn't be shocked if they drafted a quarterback, say, in the, the first two days of the draft but i think it would be a little bit of a surprise because i either you know if you're rebuilding everything's in need so why target quarterback first and if you're not rebuilding why are you drafting a quarterback so you know it's i think if they hadn't taken will greer they'd maybe more be more interested in the sort of the day two market or sort of early day three market but i think they're they might surprise me but i think they're probably more in the in the, the 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 sort of the, the mid to late round market for quarterbacks, I would have thought, and unless there's someone they completely fall in love with, which is kind of the, the other sort of caveat to quarterbacks is that if there's someone who who you really really believe in, and even if that moves the needle from 35% to 45%, then it's it, it you know just because the odds are so low on hitting on a quarterback that then starts to 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 be hard to pass on. But unless that happens, I, I think they're probably more in the Cole McDonald market than they are in the Justin Herbert market. Good stuff. Well, that's definitely something for us all to keep an eye on in a couple of months' time. We are getting ever closer yes. to the draft Vegas this year. So, um, thank you very much, uh, Vincent, once again for your insight there. Um, please do uh, subscribe, like, comment, review, all that good stuff wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, give us a both a follow on Twitter. I'm uh, at Royal Right UK. Um, Vincent, where can people get in touch with you? I am at the Richardson 444. Great, thanks very much. That's all from us this time, but do join us next time on the Great British Draft Show. Yeah. Part of me says yes because it's a, a drafting show, but also that ultimately these are Panthers fans and we're not going to draft them. So <laughs> yeah, you know. no, no, no. Look at that. Spending three hours saying, well, well, you know, Tua moves slightly better in the pocket than the 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 from, but from's yeah, from's velocity. But really, those three guys are are. It's one of those things where I don't. I think all of them can be good at a whole quarterbacks, but I. I the talk of trading up for Burrow for me makes no sense whatsoever. Um, but I'm not going to get into that on the podcast this early on. But, um, yeah. Anyway. Um, cool.